Welcome to the Media Cat Magazine podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Mike Pigger, editor at the magazine. Uh, and for today's pod, I'd like to welcome the uh, director at Stack Magazines, uh, Stephen Watson. Welcome, Stephen. Hey, Mike. How you doing? I'm well, thanks. Just uh, just uh, off mic before we uh, started uh, talking, I wanted to leap straight in because you look a bit different to, to your pictures at the moment. You're sporting a fantastic moustache. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to literally, before I ask you anything about your job or what you do, I want to ask about that. So uh, what's, what's going on there? Oh, well, thank you for the kind words. Uh, so I guess the moustache came quite early on in lockdown. Uh, there was really not very much to do. I wasn't leaving my house uh, and I grew a moustache. And then turns out my kids and my wife really like it. So now I'm just a man with a moustache. Sounds like the uh, the Pedro Pascal story. I think uh, he, he sort of did a similar thing, maybe for a role. And um, then everyone just told him, and they were like, actually, you look way better. Keep it. Um, and uh, that's how it goes. It's, it's stages of life, right? So I was. I, I like to think that I lived the first 40 years of my life without a mustache. And so now, hopefully, I've got another 40 with a mustache. Okay. Well, you need to update all your pictures online. I know you, you, <laughs> said, you said you got some exciting mustache pictures, which, uh, you know, I'm waiting with bated breath to see those online somewhere. Yeah. I'm not sure that it was for a Chinese magazine. They sent um, they sent Yushi Lee to uh, photograph me, and she's the photographer who's like famous for taking uh, photos that like subvert the male gaze. So she did the series of like my Tinder dates, which is like lots of naked men uh, photographed with hair closed, and then she's done like very some riffing off that. So basically, like she she came and photographed me, and I didn't take my clothes off, but and um, she did end up getting me sort of like standing in some bushes with like some flowers kind of draped over my face. So I mean, they're like really cool images, but not I don't know. I might not be using that as my main picture for for a little while. That was literally going to be my next question. I was like, hold it a minute, you've got a naked photo shoot. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> the world doesn't need to see that. Oh, well, you never know. You never know. Like you said, subverting subverting the the gaze and all that, and you know why not. Anyway, uh, I should probably get into why I've got you on the podcast. So um, I thought we could obviously talk about your business, uh, Stack Magazines. So you founded that in 2008, is that correct? Yeah, that's right, yeah. How did it come to be? Because uh, that's, you know, it's a lot, long time in a row, but I guess if it's your it's your baby, um, then how, uh, how did it come to be? And, and sort of what convinced you to sort of make the leap into starting a business? Uh, well, so I was a magazine editor uh, at the time. I was uh, editing in-flight magazines and feeling a little bit kind of sort of lost, I suppose, because like, editing in-flight magazines is really fun because you get to fly around the place and stay in nice hotels. Uh, but it's also a little bit soul-destroying because you're just kind of, you know, you're like producing the same articles for the same kind of like ad-friendly editorial. And I just basically started like reading independent magazines. The, at the time, my office was on Grazing Road, which was just around the corner from Magma. And I just sort of go in there and like browse the shelves and see the amazing magazines. And I sort of realized that, you know, so that you start seeing like one or two and then you realize that there's like way more of these things. And I just thought like, wouldn't it be nice to have like a really easy way for people to discover more of these magazines that doesn't like sort of depend on them happening to work around the corner from magma and clackamon that makes sense um so actually i realized as well as, as is my way jumping around you so you started the business can you explain what's what stack does so what's what's your your business when it comes to the, to magazines yeah sure so every month we um choose a different independent magazine and we deliver it to uh our subscribers who are all around the world 
and you never know what you're going to get next, but you know it's always going to be one of these lovely, intelligent, beautiful, independent magazines that you probably wouldn't otherwise have come across. Okay, that sounds good. Um, and I was curious, like how since 2008, obviously, the, I imagine things have changed quite a lot sort of within the, in the industry, sort of publications and magazines, and also just the, the global uh, globalization of the world and the internet and things like that. You know, how, how do you see it uh, ha having changed from those early days uh, as the business? Has, has it changed a great deal or did you always have that kind of business model from, from the off? Uh, well, I mean, it, look, in the early days, it was sort of a hobby, really. I mean, the, I guess I did always have the aspiration that it would become, you know, a job. But yeah, for the first few years, I, I did it and didn't pay myself. I just sort of wanted it to exist, really. Like, the, you know, I, I was in my sort of like mid to late 20s and having a great time going to independent magazine launch parties and meeting really interesting people. And so that, you know, that was kind of like the sort of motivation. And and then my wife uh, gave birth to our first child and like all my spare time disappeared. And so it got to the point where I was like, okay, I, I'm going to have to choose now. And, and by this point, I'd left the job, which was the in-flight magazine editor uh, and as a result of running Stack, I'd ended up working for this like great uh, creative agency. And so basically I, you know, ended up with two jobs that I really liked. Um, but so I had to choose and work with Stack. And uh, yeah, that was uh, that was in 2013. Okay. So uh, did, did it sort of start kind of a lot more kind of, I don't know, serious in terms of a job then? Like you kind of investing your time in et cetera? Or was yeah. it very much the same? Or No, no, totally. I mean, like it was terrifying. Like, the, you know, it's kind of, it's not... It's not the most. It's probably not the most sensible route to go. Like, okay, so we just had a baby, and like, like now we're actually like things are getting serious. We really need some money. Uh, so I tell you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give up the jobs <laughs> like, that pays me money, and I'm gonna go and like try and do this thing that's been my hobby for a few years. But um, but like, fortunately, it paid off. Uh, it obviously made everything much more serious. But then that kind of like led on to other opportunities because. You know, we're like back in the days when I was doing stack evenings, weekends, and one day a week, like all you can think is like, oh God, imagine if I could do this for two days a week. That'd be amazing. Then when you do it two days a week, you're like, oh, I imagine if I could do it three days a week. So they're like, you know, at each point you sort of push yourself kind of as far as you can get before you then go like, right, we need to make a change here and and in order to kind of like keep moving and keep growing. So, I mean, what what was it like sort of 2008? Nine, ten, um, in terms of you know, sort of magazine subscription-based services. Um, were, were there many people out there sort of doing a similar thing? On you know, was it a very much an education kind of piece of you, you being like, I do this thing, and everyone's like, oh, okay, I sort of get it. Or you know, did did you have to explain it a lot to people? Or yeah, yeah. And well, I mean, honestly, like the the nice thing about Stack is always when you go, uh, it's a surprise magazine, so you never know what you're going to get. This, I think there's just something in people that kind of like you get that. Like that's a very simple concept. The thing that's really changed since those days is not so much I'd say magazine subscriptions as just kind of like subscriptions as a whole. Like they're you know or like like recurring revenue model basically. Like they're you know these days you can subscribe and get like I don't know bacon delivered or like the you know you, you can basically subscribe sort of anything these days. And like back when I started that wasn't the case. And so that meant that like, just in a really practical way, like there, there weren't really platforms that 
I could use to do it. So I just had like two janky spreadsheets and like everything ran through PayPal and it was the like it was a bit of a nightmare. But like over the years that's really developed. And so now we've got like this really lovely subscriptions uh platform that we run everything through and like the it's all sort of like much smoother and that side of things is is, is much easier. Yeah, I guess technology, the internet and uh you know, mobile technology as well just gives people access to all these things that they maybe didn't have before. I suppose linked to that kind of how have you seen this sort of desire for for print change over that time because obviously I guess you know the internet had been going I don't know about 10 years ish maybe when you sort of started started your business and obviously from that 10 years to the last 15 ish years um you know it's accelerated and accelerated in terms of what's available and then we've, you know, we've swung across to, you know, everything digital, everything online, everything on mobile app, apps and whatever else. And then that's kind of, and then hit digital fatigue, right? So, um, you know, kind of going back the other way to, to things more, more tangible, has, has that kind of played into, played into how you position yourself as a business? Oh, well, I'm not sure. maybe not in terms of how we position ourselves. I think probably, I mean, look, you, you're absolutely right. Obviously, the internet has changed everything. Uh, I mean, I, I think that the iPad, the first iPad, I think launched right at the start of 2010. And so, but obviously it was like really being talked about and hyped a lot before then. So like, you know, almost from as soon as I'd started Stack. So we, we started in December, 2008, almost straight away, everyone was talking about like the tablet, like, you know, like the iPad and print is dead. And I remember like going to like, you know, sort of independent magazine conferences and stuff. And literally like the whole thing would be about like print is dead. I guess there was like, you know, there, there was always a sense amongst independent magazine makers and readers and fans and stuff that like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't just going to die, but there's also like this sort of sense of like, well, how is it not going to die? I mean, the like, are you sure this? This thing can play video and and like music and stuff like that. Actually, better. Anyway, obviously, we know that iPad sales like grew very fast and then kind of plateaued and then started to drop off and and so that like you know took what say five years, and I think kind of like after that sort of uh, curve, there was a greater understanding of like okay, all right, print isn't just going to like die and go away. That said, I mean you know if you as someone who's working on uh, like a national newspaper, you know that people are not reading your newspaper in print in the way that they used to. If you're working on any mainstream magazine, basically barring the news weeklies, you know that people are not reading your magazine in print in the way that they used to. So that you know, on on the kind of the mainstream side, I mean, the, that's had like a huge impact. And there's no way that they're coming back from that. Like, the, you know, so it's now all about kind of like, how do you manage that kind of decline? On the independent side, like, honestly, independent magazines have never had any money. They've never had a big readership. So they're, so it's not like they're kind of like suddenly missing something. But so then the question is more sort of like, okay, well, so what is the function of these magazines in this world? And how do you make someone want to give you a little bit of their time because you know and again you say like people live their lives through their phones these days i know that i'm on my phone quite a lot and i'm definitely on my computer all the time so it's like okay so how do you carve out that little bit of time that's not that and and 
and make people want to spend some time with your printed magazine. Do you think um, some of it leans into, you know, because also there's like the rise of vinyl again, and um, there's a bit of an argument actually for for CDs um, and sort of, uh, and, and I don't CDs. believe that. CDs, like CDs are not coming back. I, I don't know. I'm fighting the I'm fighting the cause. I don't know. I think um, you know, I think with streaming and things that you don't own, people are starting to realise that things can disappear off of stuff that they apparently own in a digital sense. Oh. Um, and uh, it's I don't know. Is it, is it, there's a few articles I'll, I'll send you. We'll have to have another discussion about this one. Um, but I just the the whole thing of like having something now that's kind of tangible if you're going to have something tangible then you want it to be um uh well put together and of quality and perhaps beautiful and i do i do think that plays into the publications that you seem to have um under your roster so they're all, they're all sort of very attractive looking they've got like really interesting art and things like that how do you go about choosing um what becomes you know part of the stack family you know is it this sort of, sort of constant quest to find the weird and wonderful titles out there or, are there certain criteria that the, the publications have to meet before you take them on? Uh, well, I mean, so obviously there's a, a, a basic level of quality in terms of the editorial, the design, the production of the magazine. Like, you know, as you said, we want to send out something that is an object that you want to keep. So really it's, you know, it's not just the case of the words and pictures on the page. It's how all of that is brought together into a package that hopefully you will to read and then stick it on your shelf and come back to in 10 years time or something. So they're like, that's kind of the, you know, that's like sort of the basic level that, you know, there's going to be that level of quality. Aside from that, the thing that our subscribers tell us is that they want to be surprised. So that means that month on month, and I, I work about six months ahead with stack. So. You know, kind of, we've got an idea of what we're sending out uh, in January uh, next year, and I'm now starting to plan ahead from from then on. So month on month, I'll make sure that, like, if we've just sent out a food magazine, for example, then we're not going to send another food magazine for I don't know twelve months or something. If we have just sent something out from say like China, then like you know I'm going to try and go somewhere else. So basically, like, it means that every month when our envelope kind of drops through your door. And you've got no idea what's going to be inside there. And on opening it, hopefully you get a nice surprise of, of like, okay, I, I would never have come across this before. So, and, and to be honest, like, you know, because these magazines, most of them I'd say publish, say like maybe twice a year, maybe once a year, there are a few that will be quarterly. I don't think we do any really that are uh, more frequent than that. So basically like once, once you take that really quite, kind of infrequent publishing schedule into accounts it it sort of built itself the you know sort of like the like the, when you slot one in and you see that oh, i'd love to send this magazine out but it's going to be too similar to what went out two months before so we're going to have to wait another six months for it coming out the you know that kind of slow uh, accumulation through the year like sort of yeah it, it sort of built itself really it feels a little bit like um uh, like a slow living thing i don't know if you come across that term but uh you know it's like sl trying to slow everything down and and maybe it also plays into uh not just having something tangible but um you know the sort of perhaps the rise of people thinking about you know self-care and um mental health and uh, uh digital detox taking breaks away from monitors and etc 
um, you know, people say, you know, go and read, go and walk, etc. And it feels like it plays into that, trying to slow us all down a little bit and make us kind of appreciate things. Yeah, I mean, take our time. I mean, I, I definitely couldn't say that that was the idea uh, in the first place. But I, I mean, you know, the like the, this and several other things that have kind of come through while running Stack over the years have kind of like been happy accidents, but I guess are related to the original point of, you know, we're basically all kind of, you know, to, there was a, a big worry a few years ago about um, online echo chambers and, you know, kind of like we're all getting our own prejudices just like played back at us. And Stack was always intended as an antidote to that before we even really knew that it was a thing that we had to be worried about. Because guess what? It's just a good idea to open yourself up to things that you wouldn't ordinarily come across. And also like, you know, kind of the digital detox and the, you know, the self-care stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Like the, you know, stat was always intended as like, we're going to send you this magazine. And then, you know, there's some statistic that like the average decision to buy a magazine is taken in sort of like 30 something seconds because that's how long it takes to like flip through in a shop and decide yes or no and that honestly doesn't really work very well for a lot of these magazines because they're a bit strange they're you know they, they don't immediately offer themselves up as like hi this is this is what i'm all about so with stack you know this magazine can sit on your bedside table for three weeks until you've got a bit of time to come to it and then you you know it's, it's ready and waiting for you so yeah, I mean, again, I definitely wouldn't say that any of this was part of the plan at the start, but you can see how it comes out of what the initial plan was. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I guess to give a to give an example, I mean, you wrote a, a piece for the for us for for MediaCat a while back that um, showcased a couple of the publications uh, that you got. Um, so, uh, so, uh, correct me if I pronounce these wrong, but uh, Solomia and uh, Blood. Um, I think um, both which kind of focus on the the Russia-Ukraine war from different perspectives. They felt sort of inspiring in a kind of heartbreaking way, <laughs> to me at least. Um, were they quite close to your heart? You know, how, how were those two received? Yeah, totally. Look, I mean, uh, they are both really extraordinary um, magazines. Uh, so as you said, they both came out of the, um, the war in Ukraine. Uh, Solomia is um, a Ukrainian magazine, which is made by young Ukrainian people kind of giving their account of the war uh, and blood is made from the Russian side but it is uh, it's dissenting Russians who are basically they're very careful to say really we're not the ones suffering here like you know they're like we're not the ones who are being killed but that like actually this conflict is it's the end of our country as as we know it and they're literally in the magazine calling for their, like, you know, the end of Russia as we know it and the, you know, the start of like a, a new era. Both of them are, are amazing magazines. And I think amazing partly for what print does so well in terms of like creating this artifact of a time. You know, they're like, they're, in 10 years' time, we'll be able to look back on those magazines and see what people were thinking in the moment about this conflict. We didn't actually send those out to our subscribers because that's too big. <laughs> they're like they're both like great big slabs of magazines, but that's the sort of stuff that I'll really happily promote through the stat blog and and like in other places because I want to make sure that as many people as possible see this stuff and and get hold of it. And I'm actually really looking forward to there's a conference in Hamburg uh, in September uh, where I'm going to be interviewing the team from Solomia 
um, on stage. So really looking forward to kind of getting into the, the sort of details with them about like, what they're doing with that magazine. Well, that sounds really cool. Um, yeah, I have to get some more details about about that. Uh, and uh, yeah, perhaps we'll, we send you there as a roving reporter if you want to write some stuff for for Media Cat. Maybe uh, I, I wanted to ask, like, um, does it ever su- surprise you uh, the titles that prove popular versus the one you know ones that you thought were going to go down well versus the ones that are less of a hit with subscribers? Like, you think, oh, this is this is a sure thing, or this one is a bit weird. I don't think anyone's going to really. <laughs> this one's a slow burn or something does that happen quite often uh, well i mean look like first of all we don't we don't really tend to get we don't tend to get a strong response from people saying i don't like this the, i mean obviously like some people sometimes don't like the magazine we send them and that's like understood that's fine and um, but part of the point of stack is as i said like you know you're opening yourself up to something new and so, yeah, we like we don't tend to get uh, a lot of people coming back saying like, you know, this is just not for me. I think that have you heard of the the term audience capture? So there's a there's there's a, a zine that I read just recently, and actually I wrote about it on the Stack sites. And it's this idea that the creator becomes uh, kind of enthralled to the audience, and this is something that. I mean, basically, like social media is kind of engineered for because it gives you like feedback straight away. And so, you know, how many times have you sat there trying to perfectly frame a picture for Instagram and then like agonizing over the caption and then feeling completely distraught when you get like 30 likes and the, you know, so like that's audience capture writ large. And actually, with Stack, we just don't have that. Like the, you know, the, the, there's no kind of, well, I guess the signal that comes back is when people say, Actually, I want to unsubscribe from this service. And again, understood that that can happen. That's fine. But for the people who subtri- subscribe to Stack and stay with us, like they want the weird stuff. Like they they want the stuff they wouldn't have picked up. So no, we we don't. Honestly, we don't tend to get that. Yeah, sort of like a like a mystery box thing, isn't it? I suppose you you you, you you run the risk obviously because you you get something you really really love and then something that you just be like i would never have expected i would never pick this up myself um i was wondering if we could talk about subscribers a little bit like who subscribes generally that any sort of common characteristics are they largely people in creative jobs or they're you know just lots of random people yeah yeah no, no there's so so about half our and um, subscribers uh, are in the creative industries and a quarter of our subscribers are designers. So, you know, kind of it, it just makes sense. Like if you're someone who wants to have regular inspiration coming across your desk, you will subscribe to Stack. You can probably claim that as like uh, an expense against tax. So you're essentially, you know, getting it for free, whatever. And so they're like, you know, they're like designers are a, a big part of our audience. And we are very slightly more female than male. And like we're mainly uh, in the UK, but then uh, outside that, US is our next biggest audience, uh, and then Europe. But I mean, we we send stuff all over the world, so yeah, I I don't think any of this is particularly enlightening, to be honest. I I always I always wish there was something that I could say that it's like ah yes, well our subscribers are like this person. That's not what we expect, but it's it's just it's it's creative people who want to see something that they wouldn't otherwise have got hold of. 
Yeah, or like get inspiration, etc. Yeah, I, I often find that if I'm out and about and um, I don't know, you see a specialist kind of magazine shop, I'm always like, ooh, and then I, I nearly always just wander in and just have a quick scan, quick look around. I'd love to have more magazines, but I have such a small flat. <laughs> it's kind of fun. And uh, this, uh, I genuinely, uh, over the pandemic, just trying to get rid of things more than uh, more than accumulate them. But it's really frustrating because, like, um, my colleagues, which which uh, do subscribe, um, they're always sort of when we have little Zoom calls, always sort of showing me magazines um, and and uh, yeah, saying how much they love them. Um, I think one of the ones they re- recently really loved is I think the most recent one, Humble Pie. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so that was actually it was issue three of Cakezine. Uh, which we'll call humble pie. So the so cake zine is this kind of phenomenon uh, from Brooklyn that launched out of the pandemic. So the, it was kind of formulated in the pandemic. First issue launched at the start of last year, uh, and it was uh, a magazine all about cake, uh, and it was specifically sexy cake. And then issue two was wicked cake, and they launched that just in time for Halloween uh, last year. And then we've just sent out issue three and they they pivoted away from cake to pie. Uh, and so, yeah, as you say, the, this issue is humble pie. I, th- I think what the, uh, the most interesting thing to me was, though, it's not just going, you know, I don't know, here's a pie. It was like sort of the many, many different ways that you could link an article to pie, whether you were talking about, I don't know, music or something. You know, it's kind of there were, there were some really uh, surprising ways, uh, I thought. Um, and it was really I mean, that, that's kind of what these magazines are as a whole, right? The, you know, these magazines are always about niches within niches. The, you know, so if, like, if you've got someone out there who's like, well, I just love food, but nobody's speaking about it in this particular way that means something to me, that like that's kind of the the, the nucleus of uh, of a, a project like this, and obviously that that could be expressed in all sorts of different ways. It could be like a podcast or uh, I don't know, like a, a YouTube channel. But it just so happens that some people want to have the characteristics of a, a, a small, beautiful independent magazine. That nah, makes sense. I wanted to ask. Um, we're sort of, uh, you know, running running out of time soon, uh, coming to the end of our chat. But um, I wanted to talk about uh, briefly uh, AI, um, and I wondered, uh, you know, it seems to be coming for the creative industries, uh, and I wondered um, if you've had that experience, or you know, it's touching on your world at all. You know, sort of whether that's art produced for magazines, or um, I don't know, producing the articles themselves, or the photography that goes in them. How much of a, a concern is is AI to in terms of sort of the in, independent magazine kind of space? I mean, I wouldn't say it's a concern. Again, partly comes down to it is very difficult to make like a profitable business out of running a small independent magazine. So basically, the people who are making these magazines are fundamentally doing it because they love it, because they've got something that they really passionately want to say, and some of them for sure will turn to AI as a way of helping them to do that. Um, but I would say that none of them will turn to AI just because it's like a cheaper, faster way of helping them to do that. And so, you know, kind of like, obviously, you know, I guess with AI, that those are the two, that's kind of the big selling point. It's like, you know, kind of, you can get this material, this content cheaper and faster than you get elsewhere. So if you're in a business which is profit-driven, then you can see how that might give you a benefit. Whereas if you're in a business which is kind of driven by your love for it, then you're only going to use that technology if that somehow helps you to kind of like get further into a subject 
um, and investigate it more. And if that's what you're doing with it, then I, I'd like to see it. But I mean, the and Mid Journey uh, launched a printed magazine uh, recently. I haven't seen it personally, uh, but we have a stack Discord uh, server, and somebody on there posted uh, a, a video of it, and all the comments were just about like how kind of underwhelming it is. And I mean, look, guess what? If you take a bunch of images that have been created and just stick them on print, like that doesn't make it special. There's the, there isn't something like kind of inherently interesting about the fact that it's been printed. There needs to be some thought behind it. There needs to be something that's kind of uh, giving that thing a reason to exist. Yeah, it puts me in mind of, um, uh, it's interesting you say about the mid-journey thing. It puts me in mind of some uh, uh, screenwriter forums that I'm on where there was, there was a, you know, a fairly notable screenwriter was arguing that you know, uh, AI could write a screenplay. It would write a three, you know, three out of five star movie, perfectly serviceable uh, film. That's as good as it could get to. Um, so, you know, anything that's beyond that, that's really digging into the human experience, you know, your, your, your four or five star movies that kind of blow you away, it wouldn't be able to do that. And that was kind of, that was the sort of argument. It was like, it could give you something serviceable, sure. But but beyond that, there's a there's a reason humans do things. And there's a reason why we respond to them. And especially, like you say, if you're making something out of love and passion, not sure AI is going to be able to do that for you. Um, I know it's a huge topic and I just, I just wanted to quickly touch on it and scan over it. Couple, couple of final questions. I just wondered what, uh, beyond AI, whether that's a trend or not, I don't know. Um, but any other sort of trends and behaviors that you're seeing in the magazine industry right now? Um, I mean, as, as an overall thing, I read recently that... Uh, the magazine industry is kind of up a little bit. It's growing as opposed to some other sort of areas of print. Uh, well, I mean, I think that always <laughs> that always sort of depends on where you draw your uh, lines. And I'm always I'm always just suspicious of anyone who tries to tell you anything about independent magazines, <laughs> including me. Because look, the whole point of independent magazines is that they're off out there doing their own thing. Like there, there's no. Uh, there's no kind of like industry body that brings them all together. The, there's no like, you know, they're not like audited. Uh, so we can say like for sure how many they are and, and like how many they're selling. And so this stuff is always kind of like, you know, stick a, a finger in the wind. I think, I mean, maybe, maybe there are more magazines these days uh, than there used to be. I wouldn't be able to point to a number to, to tell you that for sure. But I would say very generally, I think that magazines are getting, or independent magazines are getting a little bit smaller, a little bit lighter than they used to be. Um, and there used to be, you know, kind of, it, it used to be sort of a cliche of independent magazines that they were like these big, heavy, uh, luxurious uh, magazines and there'd be like lots of white space. And, and that was a reaction against what was happening in the mainstream. So, you know, the consultants have kind of like come into, the mainstream magazines and said, okay, you need to like drop your pagination, use thinner paper, they, you know, basically cut costs wherever you could. So you've got a bunch of people who are working in that industry who make their own magazine and say, well, this is what I really want to do that, you know, so make something big and, and lavish and curious. These days, I mean, like paper is like really expensive at the moment. Also, I think there's a much greater awareness of the environmental impacts of not just like making the magazine, but like shipping it around the place. Shipping is like crazy expensive, so there's just there are just lots of reasons why people would want to make a slightly smaller 
and lighter magazine. And actually, you know, <laughs> I, I was never I was never excited by a magazine because of like how big and heavy it was. I've always been excited by the magazine because of the idea that's in there, or like you know the way it's expressing um, the idea. And I think it's really interesting that like you know you can actually make just as big an impact with a smaller, lighter magazine as you can with a bigger, heavier magazine. The, you know, it's kind of it's interesting to see the different ways that people are choosing to express themselves. But yeah, as I said, like you know, in a way that is maybe a bit more uh, environmentally and financially sustainable. And that, that makes a lot of sense. I just wanted to finish. Actually, we, we've mentioned a couple of the titles. Uh, there was the the humble pie cake cake one, and uh, uh, Solomir and Blood. I just wondered if you had to sort of uh, mention three magazines um, that sort of showcase the weird and wonderful at a stack. What would you What would you go for uh, beyond the ones we've mentioned already? Oh my goodness! Uh, <laughs> I, know fa- I know it's favoritism, but you know, I, I, I actually this morning I uh, I just published a, a blog post uh, on ten of our favourite uh, independent magazines, and that that was specifically looking at the ones that have been around for a long time because the you know I I spend a lot of my time I think magazines generally are just kind of like fixated on the new like they you know it's always sort of like that, like the new issue what's the new thing that's coming out. And so I put this post together, which is looking at 10 magazines that have been around for a good few years and, and really kind of like honing um, what they've done. So I'd say like picking from that list, uh, there's a magazine called MacGuffin, which is um, based out of Amsterdam, which chooses a different object and each issue to kind of like tell its stories about. And they just like, they just weave the most kind of like lovely and affecting and um, stories out of i mean in this case a log so it's all about logs but like you know they've done like the ball the bed the rug so they're you know all these kind of inanimate objects that are often overlooked they kind of get their place to shine and um, in this magazine uh what else we've got in there there's a music magazine called zweikoma sieben uh which is a swiss uh magazine uh, like contemporary music and for their latest issue, they have kind of like they're they're very sort of like preoccupied with ideas of like longevity, and you know like they've been going for like I don't know ten plus years, always trying to kind of reflect on the contemporary moment, and they're sort of like interested in the the impossibility of this task they set themselves, and so they're doing like crazy things like kind of they run the editor's letter one line at a time across the top of each page for like 50 or 60 pages. So you basically get like to read the editor's letter, you get sort of like more than halfway through the magazine, uh, which gives you this like strange disorienting sort of like experience of like seeing the magazine before you actually read it. And it's just, I, I love the fact that they are just as experimental and enthusiastic as the artists who are featured on their pages. And, and I think that that says a lot about what makes them um, so special. And I've got one left, haven't I? Who am I going to say? There's a a, a magazine called Dirty Furniture, uh, which uh, is all about design uh, as it leaves the showroom. So basically, this magazine started with the observation that when you read about design, it tends to be in this kind of like uh, sterilized, disembodied way. So like, you know, kind of let's look at these beautiful design objects and appreciate all the work that's gone into it. But they want to look at it when it actually starts being used by people and getting dirty and getting like messed up 
And and so their last issue uh, was the phone, and it was like totally fascinating, like looking at all the different ways that like the telephone sort of like weaves through our lives. And and their this was like starting as a six issue project, and their last issue uh, is due out at the end of this year. And and yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, what they can do with that. Well, they, they all sound amazing. Uh, I especially love the furniture one. That sounds very cool. Um, I, I accidentally stumbled into uh, a mid-century furniture part of TikTok, and uh, and uh, yeah, I'm slightly obsessed with it now. So, <laughs> but yeah, stuff in the real world is uh, is is really fascinating. Yeah, we uh, we've covered a lot, but we've uh, come to the end of our time. So I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the uh, Media Cat Magazine podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for taking the time.